Well, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Open Swim. I'm your host, Hallie Bram Kogelschatz, along with Brian Andrew Jasinski and Alex Knight. Well, hey, guys, and hey to all of you listening at home. You can probably hear we are still in isolation at the moment from the safety of our satellite offices across uh, our fine city. But we are seeing some really interesting trends in business and nonprofit world, which is what we're here to talk about today. So as we approach the end of the year, we wanted to talk a little bit about something that gets a lot of attention as people close out their um, their books leading into the, the coming Q1. And that is nonprofit giving and nonprofit support in general. So where we find ourselves today at the time of recording here one week prior to Thanksgiving is in a place where the pandemic, unfortunately, is seeing that second peak that had been promised at the beginning of this, that we would again, as we faced the winter months in much of the country, see that the cases were on the rise and that we would find ourselves sort of darkest before dawn as we await the vaccine that hopefully will put an end to this pandemic. The good news is at the time of reporting, we have positive um, news on that front when it comes to the Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca vaccines. So we could be mere days from what the news is reporting from seeing one, if not more of those vaccines begin to roll out across the United States. So while that's all very good news, what we still find ourselves facing is what many are describing as a K-shaped recovery from the pandemic, meaning that we are facing the double whammy of both the economic impact of the pandemic itself, as well as the resulting recession um, that has come about. So what we want to talk about today is how that might affect how people choose to give to nonprofits and which nonprofits thrive coming out of this situation. At the point of recording, the Washington Post is reporting that almost a third of nonprofits may not be able to survive this cave-shaped recovery, um, which is a staggering statistic and something that we hope obviously does not come to pass. But what might we do to help avoid that fate? Brian, I know you've been doing some research on this front. What, what are you learning? So as you said, Hallie, the staggering statistics that a third of nonprofits could be in a place where they are not emerging from the pandemic. You know, I feel like we're hearing a lot about local businesses and small businesses and even some larger ent entities that are, have had to greatly reduce their services, have had to close uh, branches or um, sectors of their businesses. But uh, there's not been a lot of focus. You know, we, we were hearing a lot about nonprofits in through the lens of, of perhaps uh, social services, um, such as food banks, what we're seeing is that a lot of these small nonprofits whose services are seen as less essential are, are those who are really in danger of not surviving. A lot of the focus is helping families who need assistance in paying their rent, getting food, and less supporting programs in organizations that support the arts and the education. Um, a lot of philanthropists uh, who are funding those organizations are, are clearly changing course with their funding. And what we're not thinking about is a lot of these nonprofits serve people 
um, you know, beyond it, you know, we're thinking when you say arts or education, you're thinking, oh, that's an orchestra or that's a, a dance program or, or an art program. But a lot of these uh, art programs are, are focused for people, for example, that are victims of trauma. And so when these activities are shut down because they're losing contracts with the hospitals that they're connected with or the schools that they're connected with, that it leaves quite the ripple effect on the people that are benefiting and, and quite frankly, that these services are vital to. And so there's certainly, you know, ways that nonprofits need to look you know, through a new lens, um, if you will. Um, as we continue to navigate our way through the pandemic. And as you said, Hallie, as we're entering, in a sense, this phase two of, of what they keep saying is, you know, the dark winter as numbers are continuing to rise more than they've ever been, um, you know, and, and, you know, I, you know, we've talked about this. I think the benefit that we had in the spring is, you know, everybody was like, well, at least the good weather is ahead of us, right? So the, you know, the good news was, you know, not only from a mental and a, you know, even a spiritual standpoint of being able to get outside and have that fresh air and that lovely weather. You know, we're we're entering a, a time of the year where people feel a sense of depression as it is. So I, I do think people are are feeling very. Um, uh, anxious, if you will, about the coming months, you know, and, and most, you know, this is a time of the year where there's almost an excitement around this, the time of the year, correct, you know, we're coming into Thanksgiving, into Christmas and the new year and, and Hanukkah, you know, so, and all of that is being taken away in a sense, because everybody, you know, we're, we're being told to focus, to stay in our homes, to not visit family who's outside of our household. So I do think there's a lot of uh, anxiety around that. So, and nonprofits have to, in a sense, they're they're feeling the anxiety because this is the time of the year where there would be events, where there would be uh, fundraising drives, and a lot of those events would be taking place in person. So it's important for them to look at this transition of crisis and, and looking at it as a time of growth, um, and that's going to look very different for every nonprofit. You know, you can't look around to see who you know other nonprofits or even peer nonprofits are doing. Um, every organization you have to look at it as is unique, and I think what's what what leads to a challenge there is you know finding what that best path forward is for your organization, but looking at it also as an opportunity. Um, now is the time where you can highlight those differences and use that as an advantage of what is your nonprofit and what is the voice and the service that it's bringing to that community. So believing that that growth is possible um, as you transition from that that mode of crisis to growth. Um, you know, and, and being strategic about it, you know, not um, shutting all, you know, initiatives down, you know, but looking at them, as I said, in a new lens and, you know, knowing that that path, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of nonprofits, you know, have certain ways that they do things at certain times of the year. We, we certainly know that as being a partner um, with many nonprofits and the work that we do at Shark and Minnow, but knowing that that path isn't necessarily going to be that straight path that they might be used to. You know, it, it might be filled with, you know, taking a few different steps in different directions and then perhaps, you know, one that may give you a sense of pause, but it's still progress. You know, there's still that idea of you're moving ahead. So the roadmaps are a little different right now, but, but, but knowing, um, you know, being nimble um, is what's going to keep those, those wheels moving forward. Absolutely. And I think for both the corporate world and the nonprofit world, with our clients, we often look at these kinds of situations as opportunity for growth. So how might we do things differently? How might that change our organization or how might it reinforce what we were before? I think the other thing that's really interesting, Brian, in listening to you talk is that 
you know, at this time of the year, many people talk about year-end giving or have you secured the year-end gift from your major donors? And I think nonprofits at this time, you know, within the pandemic, with donors that still have the capacity to give, and I know that that capacity is diminished for many because of what's taken place with the recession, but with those donors that do have the capacity to give, it really is a gift that nonprofits can give their donors to allow them to be involved in meaningful ways. Right now, I think that so many people, as you've touched on, feel, you know, a slight, if not a heavy feel of depression in their lives. You know, we've been hunkered down here in the U.S., you know, most of us since March. And I think that people are looking for ways to create meaning. And, you know, from from their safe kind of um, abodes uh, to see if there's a way that they can still be making impact from a distance. And so looking at very specific giving opportunities, one of the trends that I've observed is with area nonprofits here in the greater Cleveland area, and I've seen some nationals take on this strategy as well, is to still push towards a year-end giving campaign, but also to introduce COVID relief funds for specific pockets of the population that they serve. And sometimes using that as a corporate match opportunity so that, you know, if you know that you're making an additional gift to the organization towards that corporate, towards that COVID relief fund, you're going to be able to be matched dollar for dollar from a corporate sponsor. So, you know, that's an example of making giving specific and allowing the nonprofit to actually give a gift of purpose to their top donors so that at this time we actually can put the proof in the pudding when we say we're all in it together. So what does that look like and how do we really make change together at a time when so many people are feeling so helpless? Absolutely. And I think what you're what you're saying too is is that communication, you know, making sure that you're continuing to engage um, with that community of supporters, you know, that has been the bedrock in, in the sense of that organization. So continuing to engage with them, letting them know, you know, that you have your mission continues to move forward, but also what are those, those uh, in a sense, sub um, sets of focus that have been developed be, you know, during the pandemic. And, you know, it's an opportunity to remind your audience and those who support your nonprofit of why they love and support your organization, you know, and even sharing tips with them of um, expertise that you can provide, you know, so continuing to be there as a thought leader and in a sense, you know, providing these stories that highlight, you know, that difference that you're making in the world during this pandemic. Um, so, you know, they've obviously followed you, they follow you on your social media, they, they donate to you, you know, they, they care about your mission and that care doesn't change just because of the fact that we are in this pandemic. Now, granted, there may be, you know, less ability to donate in a way that they have before, but it, it still means that you should continue to reach out to them. And Hallie, to your point too, it allows you to communicate to your audience how you are supporting the community and those that you serve through the pandemic. So how are those that you serve, how were they impacted by the pandemic? What are the challenges that they're going to face coming out of the crisis? And so out of those challenges, how can your nonprofit help them in, you know, in a meaningful way? As I said earlier, I think really driving home those unique differentiators of your nonprofit that you can offer that others cannot is what's really going to resonate with 
your donors and those who follow and support you as a nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Brian, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is at the beginning of this pandemic, I know you and I had a conversation about the fact that both of us belong to gyms, so to speak, that also are a part of community situations. So you on the West side, you've spoken about the YMCA and, you know, me on the East side, you know, with the JCC. One of the things that stands out to me um, in light of what you've just mentioned is the way in which both of these organizations have reinforced our reasons why we choose to belong to a community center versus a traditional gym. You know, I'll speak for myself. It really did reinforce my decision when I began to see the emails coming out from the JCC saying, you know, continue maintaining your membership because your membership goes towards all of these things, such as food insecurity across greater Cleveland, such as looking after seniors that may be homebound um, at this time or people with special needs. And, you know, looking at ways in which like those dollars that I just typically think of as a gym membership are going to support the most vulnerable among us in our communities. And I know that the YMCA does the same thing. And so I think that those are ways in which nonprofits that touch a broad spectrum of services and that people may subscribe to or donate to for multitude of reasons, this is the time to reinforce how that organization makes change in the community and why you should choose them over other entities. We talked about in this time where people are, any services that they're no longer engaging in, you know, and I think one of the first things that a lot of people, you know, one of the first things to be cut in a sense were their gym memberships, you know, and the fact that they couldn't go there anymore. But as you and I talked about, we felt good about the fact that we allowed our memberships to continue because knowing that it, it wasn't just a, a gym, you know, it was, it was, they were both, they're organizations that serve the community, not only in a physical sense, but also in the way that their community outreach is nurturing the, the, the surrounding area, the, the cities that, you know, these organizations um, in which they're located. And, you know, personally, you know, it's been now, what, nine plus months, you know, since we've been able to engage in the in, in these buildings. But for me, I don't look at that, that membership that's being fed into, um, you know, my the fees that are being fed into my membership there. I don't feel that they're wasted because I know that it, it goes beyond that physical uh, act of people going there to exercise. You know, it, it's doing so much more. And so I think a lot, you know, and that's a, actually a really good framework, you know, as I, as I feel like I keep mentioning is that that new lens that, you know, nonprofits need to look at and, and being able to consider in a sense, what are some new revenue opportunities? You know, how are there different ways that we can fundraise, um, you know, or how are there different ways that we can engage that, that sense of philanthropic giving that, uh, that audience can, um, you know, giving them a reason to see much like you and I did like, Hey, we're not engaging with the, the JCC or with the Y like we normally do, but because we're being, and I think they, I think both organizations that we, we've, we've shared are doing a really good job. And I think that's what's key of sharing like, hey, this is what your money has done in the past. And here's what it's continuing to do. And I personally feel like at least through, through the why that, that is communication has certainly been ramped up. You know, I think it's always been known that, you know, your membership is more than just the, the, you know, keeping the lights on and the equipment updated. But I think in the, in the world that we're in currently, they, they've certainly turned, turned the volume up, if you will, um, on, on those additional 
initiatives and that additional impact that your membership has. Because, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who that, as we said, was one of the first things that they cut. And so that's their way of of making sure that support continues. So here's another thing to think about. There are a lot of people whose giving capacity is going to be diminished based on the fact that we're in the middle of a recession. Somebody may have lost a job. Somebody may have lost dual income for a family. There's some really awful things happening out there in terms of personal finances. The other side of this, which is being widely reported, is that there are a lot of people who have maintained their jobs but has have diminished their spending. And so as a result, they actually have increased capacity for giving. And so it's kind of interesting to think about, but this is a particular opportunity for nonprofits because there could be an influx of not just new dollars, but new donors, which is, you know, in the development world, something that we talk about a lot. You know, how are you making sure that you're increasing the number of donors to your organization, not just the dollars from your go-to people, so to speak? So, Brian, what are some things that nonprofits should be thinking about in order to figure out how to mobilize these new donors to give to their specific organization? There is a set of questions as I was researching this that really stood out to me. Um, You know, as we were talking about earlier, it's certainly a sense of not simply going down the the continued path that you may have always done at this time of the year or as an organization. It's understanding that pivot. And in order to do that, you have to, in a sense, step back and assess your impact and who are those that you're impacting. And not only those that you serve, but the partners that you work with, be it your staff, the board, volunteers, those that you work with. So I think being able to ask yourselves as an organization a series of questions almost allows us a new sense of clarity. Um, Because I think, you know, obviously a year ago, you know, there were certain pieces of questions that one would never ask, such as if we were to go away today, who would it matter to and why? So who who are those that this would affect? And that, that offers a very clear answer to who's being served by your organization. And what is that difference that your organization is making in the community? Who are your core constituents? And then what impact do they need you to have as an organization? And I think as you're thinking through this pivot, these are key questions that allow you to perhaps have answers and look at your organization in a way that you may not have done six months ago, a year ago. Brian, that is such a good point. And I feel like now is the time for nonprofits and and basically any organization to truly tell their story. Now is such a great time to to re-engage with your current donors, prospective donors, um, to try to bring in a new audience, to really focus on people who um, have stuck with you throughout these tough times. I think that story storytelling aspect of it is going to be massive for nonprofits now and, and in the uh, near future. There was a survey um, that I wanted to dive into a little bit from Fidelity Charitable. And I will caveat this by saying the, the survey was done. Um, uh, uh, sorry. I will caveat this by saying that the survey was done uh, closer to when COVID-19 really started hitting. So I think earlier in the year, but it does uh, shed light into things that I think will stay true for the rest of 2020 and, and um, in 2021. So the survey, they, they looked at, they surveyed 1,800 U.S. adults who had donated at least $1,000 to charity in 2019. And they found that 25%, so one quarter of these U.S. adults, plan to donate more in 2020 than they did in 2019. 
and that over half of them said they will not change the amount they donate. Out of that 25% that said that they were going to donate more this year compared to 2019, most of them are very conscious that there is um, a great need for continued and increased donations, and they they want to help out essentially, and they recognize that their community may be suffering. And out of out of this population, only nine percent that they will donate less. And by by uh, by far and away, they were this nine percent was essentially saying that it, they're just concerned about their income and they're worried about you know future recessions and things like that. So it makes sense. But I was I was surprised because. It makes sense when there's an economic downturn, or at least you would think about it this way, that you know people may have less money, they may donate less. But according to the survey, that doesn't seem to be the case. And another really cool thing uh, is that it seems like younger generations plan to increase their donations more than older generations. So 46% of millennials say that they will give more in response to COVID-19 versus only 14% of baby boomers and 25% of Gen Xers. With this increase in donations or planned donations, at least for 2020, and you know, I assume this this will head this this will also head into 2021. I think that there is this great opportunity for nonprofits to again, I'm going to keep harping on it, tell their story, really differentiate themselves, like Brian was saying earlier, um, really trying to stay nimble, and some of the trends that we're seeing uh, heading into 2021 for nonprofits, and again. This, these are things that I think any organization should be doing, but especially nonprofits, staying nimble and really just trying to meet um, your donors or your potential donors where they're at, really trying to meet your supporters kind of where they spend most of their time. Uh, having a diverse donating strategy, I think, will be really important and implementing tools both you know traditionally and and digitally i think will be um imperative for nonprofits to to stay alive and to even thrive in the upcoming year i'm wondering what your perspective is you know given that you fall into that demographic group you know how can nonprofits connect with younger donors this is the question that gets asked all the time so what are some ways you know that you can connect that storytelling piece to mobilizing somebody to want to give? Is it specificity, do you think? Is it, you know, making it meaningful in another way? What are some things that catch your attention? Yeah, totally. So I, I don't want to speak on behalf of an entire generation here, but the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is knowing um, where a donation goes. And you guys talked about this earlier with the why and with the JCC is, Hallie, you were getting these emails from JCC saying, you know, your donations, your, your, your membership really support X, Y, and Z initiative. It's pretty transparent. They're upfront and honest and tell you exactly what your money is doing. That is something uh, that a lot of people in general like to know that they're not just putting money into a bucket and something's happening to it. They like to, people like to see, yeah, I'm contributing to this, this person getting a meal or something like that. Um, so I think increasing some transparency and I, I think that also leads itself naturally into a donation tool. Um, sort of like a tracker or something on a website could be really cool. But one one trend I was sort of looking at uh, for next year and uh, love them or hate them, I think that I, I agree with this trend that virtual events are here to stay. Um, so I think that there are fun ways to keep you know to keep people engaged and to do things virtually. I think that some impact could be lost versus an in-person event or gala or something like that. 
But there are some benefits to doing things online and virtually. So for example, there are no geographic uh, limitations. You can reach at a donor base across the country versus just in one city, for example. It's easier to lower the barrier of entry for participants. So this is key for attracting new donors. Again, it could reduce some of that initial impact that an in-person event has. But by doing something online, you can at least reduce a lot of major costs of not having to rent out an entire space and buy food for everyone and decorations and invest in different technology and all that kind of stuff to make it happen. I think that's another way to keep people engaged. And especially uh, it kind of goes back to meeting people where they're at. You know, a YouTube live video could could do something that an in-person event uh, could do. So I think those are all things that to kind of keep on the table for nonprofits as they're looking to enhance their donation strategy moving forward. Another question that comes up with new donors and incre- including new donors in the fold is how do new donors feel about being asked for money? And at what point in the funnel should you be asking them for money? As my focus group of two, I'm wondering how you guys feel about this scenario. You attend a virtual event for a nonprofit that you are currently not engaged with. How do you feel about them making an ask to you within the context of that virtual event? Do you expect it? Is it too pushy? Would you give after having a singular touch with an organization if they told their story in the right way? What might they do to secure a gift from you? I'm going to toss it out to Alex first. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I think that uh, I would be inclined to give. I really like the option of having pre uh, predetermined amounts of money to give. I think organizations could start making some assumptions about the demographics of their donor base or potential donor base. And maybe perhaps they assume that younger potential donors will give less. So perhaps they give smaller increments as options versus older demographics who may have more disposable income. That way it feels less overwhelming, less pressury. But if I can start a relationship with an organization for like $10 or $25 or something, not something that's, and again, this doesn't, this sounds kind of crazy to say this, but not something that's like a lot, like $100 or $200, because that is at one time, it's a lot for someone to, I think, digest. With new donors, what you really want to do is just like a, a, a new customer to a business, you want to get them in the door and you want to get them engaged. You want to get their information, learn more about them. And then that way you can create these custom segmented donor re-engagement campaigns per demographic or even if, if you're able to per, uh, per donor on a specific per person basis. I think that you're right there. And I, you did mention memberships. You know, I know that that's one thing that's that I've heard a number of the nonprofits we work with sort of surface as an idea over the last few years. You know, how might we get new donors in the fold? Would they consider a giving club or something like that? So I know that it's something that as a tool comes and goes as far as whether or not it's in vogue, but it's something that seems to be coming up more often than not. And small increments at various times in the year certainly allow for someone to feel like, okay, I'm certainly voting with my dollars. I'm making it known that this is the thing that I support over time. Brian, what do you think about the question about the virtual event and the first touch with an organization? How do you feel about being asked to give immediately? When are you prepared to actually begin giving a gift in your relationship with an organization? I think I echo what Alex was saying earlier. I think it's what's really important is the storytelling in two levels. So there's a storytelling, for example, when you go to the quote-unquote virtual event. And obviously there will be, you know, uh, case studies or stories that are shared that tell uh, the, tell, as we were saying earlier, that important impact of the organization and what they do and 
Why, what, what about that am I connecting with? Personally, one of the things that I feel is a very effective ask in when, when asking for donations, and this also circles back to our, our conversation about the JCC and the why, is understanding where the, those funds are going. So I think a lot of times it's really easy at events. It's like give $100, give $250, give $500. But I, the events that I have been at where they will actually spell out for you and say, by giving this amount, this is what you're doing. This is what you're creating. This is what you're supporting. I think it's almost in a sense, I think it's a little bit of that shopping mentality for people. At this price, this is what I'm purchasing in a, in a sense to allow to happen. I think if it's made very clear what where the impact of my dollars are going, I don't think that that's too soon of an ask. Because I, I do think when people are going to this virtual event, I think it's it's a known thing that, you know, that that's what it's the purpose of the event is for. And so that ask will be there. But I think the importance and what needs to be handled delicately and correctly is the style in which that ask is presented and the depth in which it's presented. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, I, Brian, I totally agree with you. It's it's uh, make that ask as personalized as possible, but also as as dignified as possible. And and I think that goes back a little bit to that transparency about, you know, this is what your money will do. Um, but I was also looking at, at some, uh, and this goes back to my idea of, um, you know, getting new donors uh, just simply involved in your in your nonprofit. Um, there's some information found from uh, this this uh, organization called Classy, and their business that uh, develops software for nonprofits to help them fundraise. And they've put out um, a study called "The State of Modern Philanthropy 2020." And basically, what they found is that um, donors typically, like new donors who um, engage with a nonprofit, they donate a certain amount of money, they typically return and take a second action of some kind well before a year. So they're finding that, you know, people are engaging with a crowdfunding campaign 189 days on average after uh, making that first donation. So it's it really does go back to thinking about donors and donations in a different way and really looking at what is the lifetime value of getting a donor in their mid-20s who perhaps can't give a lot right now, but can give some and wants to give, what is the lifetime value of them compared to someone um, who who will give like a one-time donation, but a larger amount? And I think there's a lot of like cross-examination and, and kind of data analysis that can be done on the back end to really dive into those numbers. So engaging with like a younger audience at a lower value, creating like lower barriers to entry for donating, I think will be also really important. Alex, what else are you finding in your research? What else is sort of popping out as trends that nonprofits can use to sort of fuel their efforts in this fourth quarter, as well as as we approach the next phase of the pandemic, which certainly we're hoping will present new opportunities for them? I will go back to that Fidelity Charitable survey a little bit, where they talked to 1,800 U.S. adults who had donated at least $1,000 to charity last year. They also talked to 300 people who currently work at a nonprofit. They asked a question about, to what degree are certain areas of the organization that you work at currently being impacted by COVID-19? And they broke it down by a couple different categories. So one was fundraising and development. Another was volunteer services and programs. And another one was delivery of programs and services. And it's, it's not surprising to see that there is a vast majority of respondents who say that, um, the, that COVID-19 is affecting all three areas 
of their nonprofit. So fundraising, development, volunteer services and programs and the delivery of these programs and services. Again, it's another opportunity to really showcase what, what Brian has been saying this entire episode is that, that storytelling piece differentiating yourself and showing the impact in which nonprofits are are um, making in our communities. I think there's that, just a huge opportunity for that storytelling piece and um, in, in different ways and different stages in which a donor has engaged with uh, your nonprofit before. I think there are so many different messages to layer on and, and ways in which to do so. Yeah. And I think this is the hard thing for many of the nonprofits that that we begin working for is it's overwhelming to think about segmenting your communications in that way, especially when you're a nonprofit that has so many good stories to tell based on the impact you create. So figuring out ways to, you know, again, segment that communication, create that consistent flow of information to mobilize and motivate donors throughout the year is really critical and making it easy for them to give towards specific ticketed portions of what it is that you're doing to make impact. I think the more you can do that and create the infrastructure for that, the more successful you're going to be in connecting with both current and new donors. 100%. I think that there's um, there's a lot of work to be done on the behind the scenes to, to make that segmentation happen. Um, but I think that the long-term benefit of making that time and resource investment is it will be well worth it because you'll be able to personalize your messages, engage with your audience and potential audiences in a much more efficient way and sort of lead people through um, a life cycle of of donating for the first time and then continuing to donate. It's what we talk about all the time. I, I feel like at Truckerman, it was attracting customers or attracting donors and engaging them, nurturing them and getting them to retain or getting them to re-engage, um, make a purchase again, if we're talking more like B2B or B2C versus nonprofit. But it's something that we're talking about a lot and something that um, nonprofits and, and organizations really across the board really have to start paying attention to and investing time in. So Alex, I'm, I'm wondering about you know the highly engaged donors that organizations may already have in the fold. What do we know about them at this time that may affect the ability to inspire them to increase their gift? Yeah, of course. So I think we've, we've talked a lot about you know attracting new audiences and younger audiences to your nonprofit and how to keep them engaged through entire lifetime, essentially. But of course, nonprofits need to really also focus on people who are super engaged, who have given multiple times before, and who really um, associate themselves with, with the nonprofit itself. Going back to that survey again, it's showing that donor-advised fund donors, which are these donors who are more engaged, they are more likely than the general population to ramp up their giving in response to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, as one-third of these donors plan to increase their giving uh, during, during this time. And another interesting finding here is that these engaged donors do plan to stay the course in their traditional approach to giving, so they may be less likely to give towards COVID-19-specific nonprofits or um, organizations they're still going to be focused on the organizations that they've donated to for years. So 59% say that they will continue to contribute to the nonprofits that they typically give to. And it's really no surprise here, um, but the people who are super engaged, who have donated multiple times before, these donor-advised fund donors, nearly 70% of these donors feel like they have enough information and knowledge about how to direct their support to address COVID-19. And that goes back to that um, this this is a this is a stark comparison to only fifty one percent of general donors feel like they have enough information. So again, it goes back to focusing on the, the different segmented messaging 
approaches that nonprofits can take to, you know, kind of keep these donor advice fund donors moving along, keeping them, you know, informed and, and I guess happy in a sense that they know that their money is still going to a great cause. Um, but how is that message totally different to people who don't know where to go to donate their money or they don't have the information or don't know where to even, you know, what to type into Google, for example. Again, there's a lot of things that nonprofits can do to make sure that their messaging is segmented and appropriate for each specific audience within their database. So as you guys know, and our listeners at home who have been with us, you know, listening dedicatedly to every episode probably know as well, is every year at Shark and Minnow, we enact a program around Giving Tuesday called our Giving Tuesday Shark Attack. And um, each year what we do is we select an area nonprofit and we gift them a day's worth of consulting services to solve one of the challenges that is most important to them at this particular moment in time. So while we started this in 2015, we've had the opportunity to give back to some of the area's greatest nonprofits, such as Adoption Network Cleveland, Global Cleveland, HFLA of Northeast Ohio, and Julia de Burgos Cultural Arts Center. It's been really fulfilling to be able to help them support um, their mission in this way and to give them ideas that have fueled efforts you know, beyond this engagement. So this year, we're really excited to announce that our Giving Tuesday Shark Attack recipients is going to be, drumroll please. In Motion, if you're not familiar with them, it has provided physical wellness programs such as exercise, mindfulness, arts, support, and education free of charge to people with Parkinson's disease and their families. Removing this financial barrier to participation has been a core principle of InMotion since they were founded, and so far they have successfully built and grown an organization that has a substantial annual budget to serve this end um, and serves a population largely in greater Cleveland. Um, this organization is growing, and that is what we're hoping to help them sort through is as you grow your geographic footprint, how do you maintain the quality of what you provide, and how do you you know create space for new efforts and new ways of serving populations outside of our geographic area. So we are so excited to be working with them this year vis-a-vis -vis our Giving Tuesday Shark Attack give back. And we'll look forward to supplying some updates once we have a chance to work through this project. So congratulations to InMotion. We can't wait to work with you. Episode My Bigger Boat goes out to all of the people that volunteered their time to work the polls this election. This was such an unusual election season and made more unusual by the fact that we were looking for ways to safely allow people to vote during the largest public health crisis, certainly of my lifetime. And so I just want to say a big thank you to all of the men and women that put duty first and safely helped people to vote and cast their vote because your efforts do not go unnoticed. Thank you so much. This episode, My Bigger Boat, goes to the Heights Hillcrest Regional Chamber of Commerce, a local organization in Northeast Ohio. They've created a Shop Local Month as an extension of the traditional Small Business Saturday. 
The organization highlights local small businesses and boutiques in its six member cities, Cleveland Heights, Richmond Heights, Shaker Heights, Lyndhurst, South Euclid, and University Heights. You can learn more about this organization and the featured businesses of the week by going online to hrcc.org. This episode of Open Swim, My Bigger Boat goes to the Cleveland-based nonprofit Employees Only. The mission of Employees Only is to provide emergency financial assistance and resources to service industry professionals in need throughout Northeast Ohio. When a personal crisis strikes, service industry workers band together to help each other out. Through fundraisers, community resources, personal donations, or even showing up, they are always there for each other. By proactively organizing industry resources, this not-for-profit group aims to get ahead of the game to provide an organization that people in the service industry can turn to in the moment they are in need. You can learn more about Employees Only at employeesonlyneo.org. This episode is in support of our new friends at InMotion, a nonprofit center dedicated to helping people manage their Parkinson's, take charge of their well-being, and embrace the opportunities and challenges ahead. Learn more at www.beinmotion.org. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marcia Ciccone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey. 